All right, good morning, everyone. Glad that you are here. Um, we are in Exodus 23. Exodus 23. Show you where we're at here. Exodus 23. Those are the four main divisions. Now, we started Exodus uh, 3. Or, I'm sorry, started Exodus. We started Exodus 23 three Sundays back. I've been gone for a couple of Sundays. Yes, I was sick. Yes, I tested. It came back negative, in case anybody's wondering or scared. Um, so, um, so we've not been in Exodus 23 for a couple of weeks. We're back at it, and we are actually, we covered those first three main divisions, work for just, justice, work and rest, and worship. We covered those already. I'll fire through them briefly here uh, before we get to the warnings and promises at the end. In the work for justice section, I did not have any subpoints like I, I might normally. Uh, that was a shorter section, real clear, didn't need a lot of explaining because we saw that God has a heart for fairness, for justice, uh, for, for people to be treated well and to be treated right, even if they're strangers. Um, which reminds me to say this, that what we're seeing in these chapters is the heart of a father, our Heavenly Father, and how he deals with and treats and leads his children. That's why these chapters are so precious to us. Is it okay for me to say precious? I mean, I'm manly, I'm tough, but I can say precious, right? Okay. That's why these chapters are so precious, because we get to see, it's as if God opens up his chest and you can see his heart and you see what what um, what he loves and what he likes and what excites him and what he cares about. Um, so we saw work for justice. The next section was, come on, I know it's coming. Here it comes. There it is. Work and rest. We saw that God was concerned with productivity and with rest. He had laws concerning the years, like how you spend your year, and he wanted he wanted uh, fields planted in six-year blocks. But then in the seventh year, he said, "I don't want anything planted. Let the ground rest. Uh, let just let it grow. Whatever's there, I'll provide from for you from those things." So it was going to take some faith on their part to say, "Wait, I'm not supposed to plant. I'm supposed to just trust you that stuff's going to grow." Yes. Okay. Huge challenge. God understood that but he was promising to take care of his people. And then there were also laws for the six days. God wanted them to be productive for six days at a time. Be productive. But on the seventh day, rest. And we saw that he was concerned about not only the people resting, but the servants and even the animals. Let it rest on that seventh day. Okay, just give, everybody gets a break. And then we got into our third section, which was on worship, and there were some feasts festivals that God wanted celebrated, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering. So it was like a, like yearly feasts that, you know, celebrate the beginning, celebrate the middle, celebrate the end of the, of the planting season. Um, he wanted them to, to remember where all of their provision came from. Uh, he didn't want them to start worshiping the land or to care so much about the land and the produce that they forget about him which they ended up doing. We'll get to that at a later time. Uh, but, but God had laws for all of these things. And then finally we get to the warnings and promises. Now, you, you may remember, if not, I'll remind you right now, 
that where we're at in the book of Exodus is, is here. The, the children of Israel have been led out of Egypt by Moses. God used Moses to free them from slavery. Okay? So all of these people that God is leading through Moses, that Moses is leading, all of these people were born into and have lived their entire lives in slavery. Whether they were two weeks old or whether they were 99, didn't matter. All of these people have lived their entire lives in slavery. So what we're seeing here in the book of Exodus is not just the exodus from Egypt, but we're seeing God, the heavenly father, lead very gently, lovingly his children. It's, it's as if, I want you to picture, these people are like newborn babies. What do you do with a newborn baby? You love that newborn baby. You provide for that newborn baby. But at some point, you begin to teach that newborn baby things, important things. In fact, you start to, you start to teach a newborn baby those things immediately. They, um, those of you that maybe have been around babies enough, um, moms have got this down. They know the difference between cries. My wife would say, oh, she's hungry. It's like, what? I didn't know she was hungry because I can tell the way she's crying. What? All I can hear is like racket, just like, be quiet, kid. What do you want? You got a clean diaper. Leave us alone, you know? And But she knew the difference. And then as I, you know, as we continued to have kids, as they got older, then I could, I just kind of like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I can tell. There's different, you know, different, different kinds of crying. You know, especially when they get older, it's like, you're, is there any blood? Then I don't want to hear it. Like, you know, there's no, there's, you know, stop, stop with that. But God is teaching his newborn babies, these children, they've been, in a sense, they've been born out of slavery, born again, they're brand new. And God is teaching them how to walk and how to produce and the things that are important to him. So that's what we're seeing here. It's not just God handing down a bunch of laws, but it's a father teaching his children every step of the way. And now we'll get to the, the fourth and final section of this chapter, warnings and promises. And warnings are actually a good thing. A lot of times we don't like to be warned. Like, ah, you don't have to tell me. I already know. I know what I'm doing. We don't want to be warned. But warnings are a good thing. When you leave church today, you will be with your parents. Some of us will be driving, but some of you will be with your parents. And you will come up to an intersection, no doubt. Uh, there will be lights, and there will be a green light, which means what? The red light means, the yellow means, <laughs> the yellow light means, hit the gas, it's about to turn red. The yellow light is a warning. The yellow light is a warning. It's not just a warning that a red light is coming. That's, it's, that's not the only thing it's warning about. It's warning you that there's a red light coming and there will be traffic going across that you will wreck into if you do not stop. So warnings are a good thing when you're on the freeway and, uh, you know, maybe with your parents again and uh, uh, just cooking down the freeway and then you start to hear thump, 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 you know that you're changing into a different lane, okay? Now, hopefully it's not like, uh, you know, you're changing into a different lane because your parents are like this, like, you know, trying to drive. You know, I never do that. But anyways, um, you know, but there's a warning. Warnings are a good thing. We don't always like them, though. During the Revolutionary War, 
a loyalist spy appeared at the headquarters of Hessian commander Colonel Johann Rahm, carrying an urgent message. The urgent message read this, General George Washington, huh, America, and his Continental Army had secretly crossed the Delaware River. Okay, remember that scene? Like, you know, whatever, Lando. Had secretly crossed the Delaware River that morning and were advancing on Trenton, New Jersey, where the Hessians were encamped. The spy was denied an audience with the commander and instead wrote his message on a piece of paper. A porter took the note to the Hessian colonel, but because Rawl was involved in a poker game, he stuffed the unread note with its warning into his pocket. When the guards at the Hessian camp began firing their muskets in a futile attempt to stop Washington's army, Rawl was still playing cards. Without time to organize, the Hessian army was captured. Now, I look at that and I say, Commander Rawl, what a dummy. However, many of us find ourselves doing the same things. Some of us, some of us guys, will find ourselves doing the same exact thing later today. Like, I didn't hear you there was a game on. I was involved. Like, I don't, I don't even know what's going on. I can do that. I don't watch football a lot. I'm sorry. I never watch football. But I watch a lot of soccer. And there's times when, you know, I can be watching the soccer game. It's like, oh, okay, here we go. You know, and then, and then it's like, you know, maybe my wife will ask me, hey, can you take the trash out? And it's like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, I'll be right there. You know, and then like 20 minutes later, she's, you know, pulling the trash out to go take it outside. And it's like, oh, you know, didn't listen. This commander took the warning and stuffed it deep down in his pocket. And you and I want to be careful that we're not doing that same kind of thing. Let's get into the rest of our chapter here, which you thought we would never get into. Picking it up at verse 20. He says this in verse 20. Here's the warnings and the promises. Behold, I send an angel before you. So the first of our two sub-points are following his angel. There's going to be some warnings and promises. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him. It means don't make him angry through disobedience. For he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. So he says, listen, I'm going to send an angel that you are going to follow. And your job is to not anger that angel by being disobedient. Just follow the angel. He will lead you. Verse 21. For my name is in him. He's my representative, God says. So do what he tells you to do. Go where he goes. Wherever he's leading you, that's the direction that you go. Don't do your own thing. Because he will not, he will not pardon your transgressions. Verse 22, I love this. Now here again, let me remind you, we're seeing a good dad. Verse 22, but if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. 
Now, you and I must be careful. Many people have made the mistake of taking uh, attributes of their earthly father and placing those on our heavenly father. And when we do that, we can oftentimes see God in an obscure light. In other words, if we come to think that our heavenly father is like our earthly father, we may see God as less than. You know, I don't know what your uh, relationship is like with your earthly father. It may be a bad relationship. And if you take that, uh, the thoughts about your earthly father, into your relationship with your heavenly father, that will affect the way that you think about God. Now, you may have a great earthly father. Maybe he uh, exhibits the, the, the characteristics, you know, godly characteristics. Maybe he loves you and provides for you, does all of those things. But even so, your dad, as good as he may be, is still imperfect. And so you may see God in your dad, but if he's still imperfect and you're saying, well, my heavenly father is just like my earthly father, then you are shortchanging yourself. So you've got to be careful. What we are seeing here in God, uh, in the heart of God, is a perfect father. And your, heavenly, your earthly father, as good as he may be, will, will never measure up completely. Okay, That's not to say that your dad's doing a terrible job or anything like that. It's just we've got to be careful that we see God, understand who he is. Look, look what he does here in verses 21 and 22. The reason I'm pointing all this out is because this is a good dad. Verse 21, beware of him and obey his voice. Not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. You see the mistake that I made for a lot of years when my kids were growing up was that I expected them to read my mind. They would get in trouble for things that I had not explained. Now, I'm sure that your dads never do that. Like, what? What did I do? Yeah, I didn't know. And I found out that, no. My kids at times really didn't know. And they're getting busted for things that I never explained. And, and, you know, so I came to a point where I realized, you know what? I was, you know, I was thinking that I just had dumb kids. But in reality, my kids had a dumb father. Because I did not, I was not explaining to them. You know? I wasn't telling them ahead of time. Not God. Look what God does. Verse 21. Beware. Be careful. Here's the warning. Now, now, what you and I have to do is to be careful not to take that warning and stuff it down. Like, hey, I'm busy with my own things and I ain't got time for, to listen to all those warnings. Just being involved in youth ministry, it's, 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 it's uh, very rewarding and then it's heartbreaking every year with every graduating class. I've only been here for two and a half years. But in those two years, I have seen already that you have students that are here, man, they're cooking, they're doing it, they're involved, they're, they're at the services, they're at the events, they're at the camps, they're doing it all. And then oftentimes after graduation, they begin to veer. They begin to, to, to depart from their relationship with God. And it's happened already here. People that were like, People that, that maybe some of you knew that were here all of the time, 
and they've not been back to church since. Because as soon as they got their own little bit of freedom, man, they, they stuffed those warnings down. And maybe they've been in here for three, four, five years, whatever. Maybe they were in junior high. Maybe they came up through the youth ministry, kids ministry, youth ministry. And they just kept stuffing those warnings down. And they heard the warnings. And they just kept stuff like, I'm busy. I'm busy. I don't have time for you. I'm here, but I'm stuffing the warnings down. And, and so they did not pay attention to the warnings. They did not know that the army was coming. You know what I mean? And, and, and the army showed up, and they got wiped out. They were distracted and pulled away. I've seen it already. And no doubt, I don't, I, I'm not trying to be a bummer or trying to feel like I'm, you know, some kind of prophet or something, but the people that are around you right now, some of them, after a while, are going to disappear. And you'll not see them anymore. And you might see them again later on, but after they've been worn out and ripped off because they just kept stuffing those warnings down, like, oh, I'll get, I'll get to it later. I'll just, here, put it right here. And they just kept stuffing it. So you and I have got to be careful that we're heeding those warnings, that we're listening to the warnings. God is a good father. He's telling them ahead of time, listen, this, you know, you're going to get in trouble if you do this. However, in verse 22, I love this. It's a good dad. But if you indeed obey his voice, now he tells them, if you do right and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversary. So you will, you will be rewarded if you do what's right. If you do what's wrong, you're going to suffer. But if you do what's right, you'll be rewarded. Verse 23, for my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off, God says. Now, just a brief, I, I got a question. I got to be careful not to go too far with this because we don't have the time. But I want you to look at that verse. God says, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. I'm taking you into the land, and he says, I will cut them off. Now, when I read that, I've got a question like, man, God, what did they do that, that you're just going to come into their land, and you're just going to cut them off and then give their land away to the Israelites? It sounds harsh. It sounds unfair. But would you and I often, and it's okay to ask that question. It's a good question to ask as long as we're willing to seek out an answer. What you and I do not get here, we don't have the full story. We don't understand that the Amorites and the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all, all, they all live in the land of Canaan, that they were involved in idolatry, that they were involved in wickedness. We don't understand that homes from that place and from that era have been excavated, where they found built into the corner, into the walls and the corners of the houses, babies in jars. Because they believed that to sacrifice one of their children when they were building the home would bring a blessing on their home. That at times human sacrifice was involved, that at times in their idolatry that sexual practices were involved. So see, we don't get all of that here until we go dig a little bit deeper. And then we realize, oh, that's, that's why. God's not just coming in and like, hey, I don't like the way you guys look, you know, psh, get out of here. It's all with a purpose. It's all for a reason. And God has plans to judge those people. And so he does this in verse 24. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works. But you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. 
Now, there's two things going on here in verse 24. He's telling them in verse 24, you shall not bow down. So notice that they bow down to gods, the, the, the idolaters. They serve those gods. And whatever works go along with that. But that means that there's a contrast coming. And the contrast is this in verse 24. But you shall. In other words, here's what this, this is how they live, but you are to live differently. Now, I love what we do not see here. God does not say to them in verse 24, they get Canaanite haircuts, and I want to make sure that you don't get Canaanite haircuts. Or they wear Canaanite clothing. Do not wear that kind of clothing. He doesn't address those things. Because it's not about the outward appearance. It's about what you're doing. It's about your actions and how you're living. You see, it may be that all of us, in fact, we all do, as I look around, it doesn't take long, you look around, we look, all of us in here, we look like everyone else out there, in the general sense. I know we all like to be individuals, and I'm different, and you know, but the truth is, we all look like everybody else. We've got t-shirts on, or sweatshirts, or blouse, you have, I don't have a blouse, uh, you know, jeans, whatever, pants, you know, we've got the, basically, you know, we've got the same kind of haircuts as, as, as unsaved people out there. And that does not seem to be an issue for God. What seems to be an issue, what we learn here, is that God is concerned with our actions, the way that we are living. That we, we may look the same as everybody else, but we do things differently. That's what he's saying here in verse 24. But you shall. This is how they live, but you should live differently. And we may not look any different. But what about our actions? And sometimes it's what you do not do. I remember years ago, I was working for a recycling company. There's, I don't know if you, I haven't seen any of them out here, but these big metal storage bins where they keep all of their recyclables in there. I was working at one of those. And a guy showed up to help me one time. I had never met this guy before. And I had a long line of uh, customers first thing in the morning. And I start going, and then he shows up a couple minutes. And he's like, hey, I'm here to help you. Okay, you know, so we just, we, we bust out the line as fast as we can. And uh, we're just, uh, just doing our thing. And then as soon as we're done, it's like, okay, break time. And we sit down. And the first thing he says to me, tells me his name, because we didn't even know each other's names. Uh, my name's Edwin. And he goes, and the first thing he says, he, he asks a question. He says, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, it's like, all we did was help these people, you know, turn. But, you know, it's like street people, you know, homeless people, just whatever. I said, yeah. I said, how did you know? He says, you haven't cussed. He's like, Really? Like, that's how you can tell. So evidently, everybody that he's been around had, you know, used filthy language. I used to also. I know. I used to do it all the time. It's just roll right off my tongue. But just the fact that I wasn't talking like everybody else, just that one little thing alerted him right away. So sometimes it's what we don't do. I had the same blue uniform on that he did, some dickies and a t-shirt. Work boots, you know, it's like... And, and looked, like, looked just like him, but there was something that I wasn't doing in that particular case. So it's doing, we're, we're living differently. It's not about outward appearance. You know, you want to get a green mohawk. I mean, that's between you and your parents, I guess. But, you know, that's, you know the, the outward appearance, that's, again, that's between you and your parents. For me, not a big deal. I don't really care how you come in. Okay? But, but how are we living? And God says there, that, that, hey, listen, you shall. 
But here's the second thing that's going on in verse 24, and I love this even more. God up to this point is saying, listen, we're going to get you into the land of Canaan. I'm going to judge the people. Here's what I'm going to do, blah, blah. And he's, I don't mean to say blah, 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 sorry. We're going to do you know, X, Y, Z. This is what's going to happen. But then in verse 24, he says, this is what I'm going to do, but I'm going to involve you. What? Verse 24, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. In other words, I'm going to judge them and I'm going to use you to do that. That's incredible. That you and I, here's the heart of God again. What we see here is that God likes to use people. And I don't mean use in a bad way like, oh man, he or she, they just used me. I'm not talking about that. God has a purpose that he is accomplishing. He's populating heaven. He's building his kingdom. And he wants to use you to help him do that. Not that he needs help, but he wants to use you. What an incredible privilege. Incredible. That God wants to use you. And so when you stand on the stage and lead us in worship, or when you sweep off the ramp, or when you grab a vacuum, or when you help to wipe down chairs to kill COVID, whatever it is that you might help, whether you consider it to be small or big, you are taking part in a much greater plan, a purpose. God, God is accomplishing his purpose, and you get a part in that. This is why I love to serve. This is why I have loved serving for years and years and years. This is why I told God when I had just gotten saved, I said, God, I'll clean toilets, I'll scrape gum, I'll mop floors, I'll take out trash, I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. And then a few years later, he's like, all right, I'm calling you on it. And I became a janitor at a church. And I got to clean toilets and scrape gum and whatever else. But it's, it's, it's serving all those things. You see, all of those things, they all contribute to the greater goal. Maybe a clean ramp and a clean floor is not that big a deal to you. Maybe you'd be okay if it was, you know, trashed or whatever. But the fact that it is clean helps to, 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 to uh, helps uh, uh, the service to run smoothly. We're not distracted by certain things or, you know, we come in here without distraction and we're free to worship and, and let's just come on, let's just, let's just focus on the Lord. So, so all of those things all contribute. It's God using you. So if God has been prompting you, putting on your heart like, hey, you need to do some more, then get busy whether it's here or somewhere else. But start serving. God wants to use you. What an incredible thought. So in verse 25, you shall serve the Lord your God. And he will, I like this. He gives them some, some, some uh, incredible promises here. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. Don't you love that? He didn't say, I will bless your steak and lobster tail. This is bread and water, and I'm going to bless it. And uh, he even tells them this, I will take away sickness away from the midst of you. And in verse 26, no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Now, I do believe 
that these promises that we see in verses 25 and 26 were given specifically to that group of people. Okay? I don't want you to walk out of here thinking, oh man, uh, you know, I know somebody that had a miscarriage. That must mean that they're in sin. That is not what that means at all. I have known some very godly couples, some very godly women that have miscarried, that love the Lord. It's not a sign of God cursing them or, you know, taking his blessing away from them. It's, it's a result of a sinful world system. It's, it's a, a, a result of sickness. It's not that God hates that individual. But I, I think what God is doing here is he's given specific blessings and, and, and promises and these rewards. Like, listen, you do what I'm telling you to do. I'm going to take care of every single one of your needs. You will not suffer. What, what incredible promises. Now, uh, let's finish this thing up. After following his angel, again, warnings and promises. The second one is following his fear. What is that all about? Verse 27. I will send my fear before you. Now, okay, let's read. I'm sorry. I'm getting excited. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets. Yes, you read it. Not the green hornet, just hornets. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. So I, I want you to take a step back for just a moment, pay attention to what God is doing. God says this. He said earlier, we just read it a few minutes ago. God says, uh, I'm sending you to, I'm, I'm taking you to the land of Canaan. And I've got a purpose that I want to accomplish there. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to use you to do that. And oftentimes we picture that. Maybe we picture that the way that our dad taught us to swim. <laughs> Throw him in the deep end. Ah, yeah. oh, she'll figure it out, you know. <laughs> she'll float back to the top. Don't worry about it, you know. But that is not the way God operates. See where I said it can be dangerous to think of your heavenly father the exact same way that you think of your earthly father. God doesn't do that. God says, I'm going to judge the people. I've got, I've got a work that I'm doing, and I'm going to use you. And so some of us may think, oh, here you go. You know, God's sending me out to do this hard job. But then when we get down to verse 27, he says, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. In other words, I'm doing this work. I'm going to use you, but I'm not just sending you to do it by yourself. What I'm doing is I'm actually going before you to prepare the way. So it's like, what are we even really doing? Like, God's doing work. He's going to use us, but then he's going to go before us and do the work. It's like, what you know, he wants us to follow by faith. Follow by faith. Go along with what he's doing. See, if you think about, you know, if, if God, let's, let's just take uh, worship, for example. If God is placing it on your heart, you know, I want you to be involved with worship, and you're like, you know, I don't know, I, I, it's, you know, it's kind of like I think God's telling me this, but I'm scared to death. Do you think God doesn't know that? Do you think that God is not already going before you? to prepare the way. But maybe it's some other area. Maybe you're like, you know what, I'm just afraid to kind of step out there and just do it. I, I think that God may, maybe has, maybe he's gifted me in this particular area, and I, and I feel like I should be doing that, but I don't know, I'm kind of scared. God already knows that. 
He's already prepared the way. And what you will find that as you step out by faith, you're not just stepping into oblivion or off the edge. God's already prepared a path. So what got you covered? So then it's like, well, what am I waiting for? Good question. What are you waiting for? Submit. I will cause confusion among the people, verse 27. Verse 28, he even says, I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before you. I love this in verse 29. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. He actually tells them, I'm not going to drive the people out immediately. It's going to be a process. And he, he tells them why there's going to be a process. Because there are not enough of you to tend to all the lands. So the lands will, you know, in a sense, be ruined. They'll be desolate. But then also the beasts of the field will become too numerous for you. There'll be too many animals for you guys to handle. So we can't just, I'm not just going to wipe out all the Canaanites all at once. I'm going to do it. It's going to be a process. But I love, here it is again, the heart of a father. He knows just how much is aware of all that. He knows how much to give them, how fast to give it to them. That is the, 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 the heart of a sensitive father. He knows his children well. He knows what they can handle. You have siblings, you got brothers or sisters, and you know that they're different. So different, right? Your sibling is so weird, right? You're just like, what is wrong with you? What planet did you come from? And you think to yourself, I'm so normal. How did he or she come out so weird, you know? The <laughs> I'm so normal. I'm like the normalest person I've ever known. What happened to this person? You know, we, so, so, but, but a good parent will know that, you know what, um, I've got... You know, I've got, four, I've got four kids who are all officially adults now. And my oldest computer video games. She loves computer. Is that what you call it? Computer video games? I don't even know. Okay? She's got this crazy computer in her room, and it's like uh, at, at, at her place, and it's like, what is, what's, how come there are lights in there, like, swirling around? Like, what's happening? What's, you know, it's not just the game. No, it's the computer. And she's into that. And then my youngest daughter, athlete and a student, scholar, straight up. Like, no, I can't go to my friend's house and, you know, have the time of my life because I have homework. You know, it's like, what? You know, so, and, and then the other two in the middle, they're just completely different. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. And a good father will understand that. And, and... Uh, lead them in different ways. You know, we've got a general way in which we're going, but but I, I know which one, you know, which one can can move faster or handle these things or whatever. It's a good father. He's observant, aware. That's God. Okay? Little by little in verse 33, or 30, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And I love this in verse 31. I know every verse I get to, I say I love this, but I do love this. Verse 31. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia, from the desert to the river, which we believe to be Euphrates. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. I love, you know, they've done studies 
I say they, the experts, have done studies where they took school-aged children, little kids, recess, man, my favorite subject, okay? And they take them and they would put them in a field without any borders, without any fencing, and gave them free time. And what they found is that the kids generally would congregate at the center of that area and not venture out too far because they didn't see any borders, any fencing, and so their sense of safety was diminished. And then they took those same kids, put them in an enclosed field with fences, and found that the kids very easily, very readily left the center of the field and they would go all the way to the fence. You know, all the games that you would play, you know, as little kids up against the fence or whatever you run. And they just, they would, they would, when they had fences, when they had uh, borders, then they could enjoy the entire area. But when there was no borders, no sense of safety, they found themselves not experiencing all that they could God, knowing this because he's a good dad, sets up borders for them. There's no question. Bam, here's what I've given you. Boom, this is how far you can go. This over here, don't, don't go beyond that. And for them, it would create a sense of safety, not only that, that for the peoples on the outside of that land, but even for themselves. Now they can experience and enjoy all that God has given them. Fences are a good thing. It's okay. It's a good thing. It, 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 it tells you, you know, how far you can go. I don't know about the fence in D.C. I got nothing to say about that right now. We'll keep moving on right along here. Verse 32. You shall make no covenant with them, okay, nor with their gods. Don't, don't be involved in their idol worship. Remember what they do. Don't do that. And finally, in verse 33, they shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. Don't let them stay. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. That's the danger. It's, it's not that God says, hey, Canaanites, I want you hanging out with them. They have way too much fun, and I don't want you having fun. They've got fantastic nightclubs, and I don't want you experiencing that. It's not that God is like some party pooper and like, you know, oh, the Canaanites, they've got too many great things and I don't want you getting involved in all of that. It's the Canaanites are involved in sinful behavior. And if you, my people, get involved with them, you make a covenant, an agreement, that may eventually lead to you involved in their idolatry and their sinful worship. And you'll be drawn away from me, God says. That's the danger. Oftentimes, when we are young and we know it all, we hear our parents saying, no, you can't go do that. We get mad. Man, you just don't want me having any fun. It's not like I'm going to go sin. I'm just going to go hang out with my friends. You know, yeah, they do whatever, but that doesn't mean I'm going to do it. And you know, But see, your parents understand that a step over there makes it easier to take a second step. And, and the second step will make it easier to take the third step into what they're doing. And before you know it, you've been drawn away. It is easier to 
stop doing something before you start than to start and then try to stop. Wisdom says, I'm not even going that way. I'm not even going there. I'm gonna, just not going to do it. Because, because going there is not a sinful thing, but maybe going the next step is, or maybe going the step after that, and we find ourselves one step at a time being drawn away, and God says, don't go there. Not because I'm trying to make you be miserable, but because I want you to experience all that I have for you, and if you do what they're doing, you're going to rip yourself off. So you and I, Fusion, must be careful that we're not getting those warnings, stuffing them down. Like I'm involved in something right now, I, I'll look at it later, boom, stuff it down. And we're in danger of doing that when we're in here on Sundays or on Wednesdays or when we're at home and our parents are trying to instruct us or whether we're at school and, you know, whatever. We're, we're in danger of just taking those warnings and just stuffing them down. And, you know, when you hear your youth pastor or your leader saying, hey, listen, you got to be careful, man. you got to serve the Lord. You know, don't, don't go do what, what's going on over there. Just stay focused on the Lord. And you got to be careful that, see, because what you can do with that warning is take it and just stuff it down into your pocket. Like, yeah, it just, you know what, I'll get back to that later. And you may, you may, but you may get beat up and worn out in the process before you ever come to your senses and make it back. God's always there. He's always willing, always ready to, to receive you, to give you forgiveness. Ready to pardon, Nehemiah chapter 9 says. Ready to pardon. But you don't want to get to that point where, man, you're so far gone and you're so beat up and so worn out and we don't see you again for two, three, four years and all of a sudden you show up like, man, I, you know, I just need the Lord. I'm you know, so messed up. We'll be glad to see you, but why even go down that road? Why not just experience all that God has for you along the way? Make mistakes, sure. Sin, yes. But ask for forgiveness and keep moving forward. Be careful that you're not stuffing those warnings. You come in on Sunday morning, you come in on Wednesday night, and you hear the warning, but you stuff it. And you hear the warning, but you stuff it. And you hear the warning, but you stuff it. Careful. Be careful.